And it's a great story of the birth of the church. And what struck me freshly about as I've been reading through the book of Acts is the dynamic power of this little group of people, 120 at the start, filled with the Holy Spirit and power. And it becomes three or 4,000 people in a very short space of time. And it just seems to be that, there is a, that God's hand is evidently upon this group of people. And it's like they cannot contain what God is doing in their lives. They just can't suppress it. And it's coming out the place, whether they're walking to church on a Sunday morning and they meet a lame guy and they're like, no, what I have, I give to you. Get up in the name of Jesus. It's like coming out of the overflow of their lives and of their heart. This is a people full of the Spirit of God. What I want to suggest is this little group of people becomes a very large group of people very quickly and the world in which they lived in began to see that these were quite a dangerous crew. And I mean dangerous in the most right sense. This, just listen to this. This is what um, the, the people of um, Thessalonica said about the Apostle Paul and his friends. This is what it says. In Acts chapter 17, it says this. And I, I don't know if it's going to come up or not. Here it says, look at this. This is what it says about Paul and his friends. That they that some people came and they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged out Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And what I love about this is here is a group of people saying, these people are dangerous. They are making a difference in, the, in this world. And let's be honest, they're shaking the darkness in people's lives. These Christians are a dangerous crew because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were in these cities and in these neighborhoods, stuff would happen. One of my favorite stories of Jesus. See, Jesus was dangerous. We often think about you know, Jesus as a nice Jesus, don't we? Baby Jesus at Christmas, you know? But baby Jesus grew up. And baby Jesus was the nicest, but he was also incredibly dangerous. Um, Luke chapter 8, one of my favorite stories of Jesus is this. Jesus gets into a boat. He crosses the Sea of Galilee and he comes to, uh, do you want to bring it up, uh, Robert? He comes to um, another place. And this is what happens when he gets off the boat. As he gets off this boat, the first thing and the first person he meets is a man who's been demon-possessed and been tormented for years and years and years. I call him crazy naked nut job man. Because this guy is full of darkness and whatever's happened, he's, stuff has happened to this man and he's, he's caged, he's, he's living in a, in, a, in a horrible state and he's living in the cemetery. Right? And nobody wants to go there because they're terrified of this guy. 
Jesus gets off the boat and the first person he meets is this guy. Crazy naked nut job guy. And he comes running out and he's going, what do you want with me, son of God? You see, the darkness in that man got very scared. You see, Jesus was very dangerous to the darkness. And I love it. And, it, and I don't understand all of this story because some of us know this story quite well. And all Jesus has to do is speak to the darkness in the man and tell it to leave. And it has to leave. Now, there's another whole bit about the demons end up in pigs and they go in, uh, the pigs go rushing into the sea. And I don't quite fully understand all of that stuff, but I know this. That man is then left in his right mind. His mental health has been... And he goes back to his friends and family, a different man. Why? Because Jesus, he's encountered Jesus Jesus is a dangerous fellow. Jesus is dangerous to the darkness in this world and in people's lives. Um, in, in, in Acts chapter 19, look, we're, we're building the story, okay? We're building the picture today. There's this, uh, Acts chapter 19, there's this com a slightly comical moment, but also slightly scary moment, where uh, a group of uh, men are copycatting the Apostle Paul's ministry. They've obviously seen the Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle Paul uh, praying for people and every time, you know, and speaking, and, 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 and they've seen that when he prays for people, things happen. People get healed, and you know, the darkness flees, and all of this kind of stuff. So, what they do is they go, hey, we can do that too. And they start to mimic the Apostle Paul. And it says there that they go round. And it says that they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So they would be like mimicking. They don't know Jesus. They don't really know Paul. But what they're doing is they're mimicking him. Look what happens. It says, and then one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and he gave them a beating. Wow! That's a lesson, isn't it? You see, Paul and Jesus were incredibly dangerous to the darkness in the world. I want to suggest to us today, we are called to be dangerous disciples. Not, you know, weird but actually we are called to make an incredible difference in this world and to be effective Christians. So let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and we're going to be wrapping this little chapter up. And um, we're going to be finishing off from verse 24. And uh, for all of you sporty sorts, um, this, is, this is your passage today. Because it's a, a run the race passage. So here we go. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that will not last. 
but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we want your word to encourage our hearts and our lives. We want your word to shape us. Would you come this morning and encourage us in areas and also maybe do some surgery as well in our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at what it says there. It says, run in such a way that you get the prize. And we know that the prize for Paul, what was it? Well, the prize for Paul was to go skidding into heaven and bring in as many people as possible with him. And for, for Jesus to be going, you are my good and faithful servant. You see, the prize for Paul was you and me. The prize for Jesus was you and me. You see, so, so he's, this whole thing about this, this, this sort of athletic analogy uh, and reaching the goal and receiving the prize is an illustration of wanting to encourage us and the Corinthian church to live a life that is effective and being in the best possible spiritual condition that we can be in. And therefore, if we're in the best, best possible spiritual condition, we are not going to miss opportunities and we're going to have an effective spiritual life. If you take anything away today, take that away. Paul wants us to be in the best possible spiritual condition so that God can use us to be effective in this world. You know, um, I'm not really a, an athlete. I know you wouldn't believe that just looking at me. You know, I spend days and hours honing and refining this body. Um, but some of you are athletes, I know that. And, 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 and let's be honest, you know, no athlete can rock up on race day and be a genuine contender without doing the hidden training, the background work, the weights, the sit-ups, the endurance stuff that goes on behind the scenes, you know. And Paul, what does he say there? Um, run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. There is a regime, a hidden regime that God calls all of us to. And when we're in and doing that hidden regime, then we're going to become effective. Something has to happen in our private lives so that we become effective in our public lives and our public ministry as well. And so today, Jesus wants to encourage us, I believe, from Scripture. You know, if we want to be effective, then actually he calls us to be a disciplined disciple. And some of us are already now going, oh, that word, it's like a swear word, discipline. <laughs> Hopefully, by the end of the day, you'll be going, yeah, that sounds really attractive. 
<laughs> okay? But being disciplined is a vital ingredient, a vital part of being a Christian. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to become more disciplined so that we become more effective in the mission of So winning, we know, I uh, came across a quote, doesn't just come down in athletic terms to natural talent. It often comes down to hard work behind the scenes. Gold medals aren't really made of gold. They're made of sweat, determination, and a hard-to-find alloy called guts. I like that. Isn't that right? Disciplined spiritual life creates an effective spiritual life. So, are you ready? Because we're going to get into the best possible shape we can get into. Okay? When we leave this place today, I hope we're going to be inspired, maybe, to put some things into action behind the scenes. All right. You're already looking at me like, oh, homework already. Brilliant, James. But we want to build our spiritual strength, don't we? So what are those exercises? I want us to just think, you know, um, if you're a long-distance runner, you're going to and put in quite a bit of time, you know, running, aren't you? If you're a power lifter, you're going to spend quite a bit of time doing some deadlifting and some bench pressing and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. What are the exercises that we should be doing and building into the rhythm of our life? What are they that are going to build spiritual strength into us and build spiritual endurance in our lives? I want to suggest there's a trinity of exercises, if you like, or principles or disciplines that we should be investing in. And it's really simple. And here they are. Here are three kind of principles, disciplines or exercises that build us up, strengthen us. Prayer, worship, and the Word. And I want to just start with worship. You know, we as a... I guess as a team and as a church, we believe sung worship is vital to the life of us as individuals, but also into the life of us as a corporate body. I don't know if you noticed, but when we were singing today, something dynamic was at work. I want to encourage you, worship should never just stay here on a Sunday. The scripture tells us that life is worship. But I also think also scripture tells us to cultivate a life of worship, um, you know, when you're on your own. When we spend time worshiping God on our own, before him, thanking him, telling him we love him, something dynamic happens in those moments. He begins to reveal more of who he is. As we thank him for who he is, he begins to kind of open up heaven and reveal more of who he is to us. When John, the Apostle John, was imprisoned uh, on Patmos, and the, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. Hey, he was on his own, and he was worshipping. And as he worshipped, an angel 
rocked up and began to reveal to him the book of Revelations. Worship unlocks something in terms of God's heart for us and for others and more about who he is. I don't know about you, but that grows my heart. That builds us up. And isn't it easier, once you've been worshipping God, like we've been doing this morning, singing to Him and thanking Him, something happens in our lives, and then prayer becomes quite easy, doesn't it? Because we're suddenly getting a revelation of what's important to Jesus. So then we begin to pray those things that are important to Christ for our lives, and He gives us a heart for other people's situations, and you begin to pray into those things. Something begins to happen then. Faith grows in us. To worship and then to pray. And then we know from Scripture and we know, don't we, as Christians, man cannot live by bread alone. He needs McDonald's. No. <laughs> of course he doesn't. But you know, man, man, you know, we need the bread of heaven. Man can't live on, on just material things alone. We need the words of God. And so, where do we find them? We find them here. We're to be a people of the book. We're to delve into the riches of His words. Uh, at uh, Angela and uh, Ola's wedding yesterday, uh, Tammy Doherty read out Corinth, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3. And one of the phrases... Um, in that, it says this, let the word of God, let the words of Christ dwell within you richly. You know, and they were getting married and we were saying, this is a foundation stone for the beginning of your new life together. But it is a foundation stone for any Christian to be full of God's word, to be feeding on God's word, to be filling our lives full of God's word, nourishing our hearts and our spirits. And to do all of this stuff, if it's important, then we need to make time. You see, great athletes do this thing. They visualize themselves either on the podium at the Olympics or they've qualified for the final and they visualize themselves lining up next to Usain Bolt you know, let's, you know, come on, you're saying, I'm taking you, you know. You know, they visualize themselves. So what they do is they take the goal, yeah, they take the prize and they bring it into their present. And they let that, 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 that goal begin to shape what they're about. You see, if we're serious and we really want to be effective Christians, right, we need to take the goal and bring it into our present. Now, who does that for us? And this is a reoccurring theme in Corinthians. Who does that for us? The Holy Spirit does that. We've said this about three or four times, haven't we, already, uh, through Corinthians. It is the work of the Holy Spirit who brings that future day into our present, and then we allow that future day to shape our very present day. That is what training does. It takes the goal, brings it into the present and says, I'm going to live and I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to train according to that prize and that goal so that I will be able to line up 
on the Olympic final day, ready and prepared. But to even be on the track, to be effective, I think what Paul is saying is, let's be disciplined. Let's invest in this. Fill our lives full of your of God's word. Let's worship and create it creates greater intimacy with him. And then when we know him more and we're full of him, then as it's already been said today, both Andy and and um, Margot said then we we'll walk in his spirit. Okay. So Paul's saying, let's be disciplined. The more disciplined we are, maybe the more effective will become. You know, when I'm thinking about prayer, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I struggle. I'm not the most disciplined human being there is. There are people in this room that are definitely more disciplined than me. But as I read Jesus's life, we see his rhythm, don't we? You know, consistently it says things like this. In Mark chapter 1, it says, very in the morning, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to be with the Father and to pray. Matthew 14, after he had dismissed them, where did he go? He went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. In Luke 6, one of those days, Jesus went to another mountainside to pray. Luke 22, he withdrew from his friends about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and he prayed. Jesus was an effective man of God. Jesus was dangerous to the darkness because Jesus was disciplined and invested in the hidden place. I want to be more like Jesus, don't you? Do we not want City Church South to be effective amongst Stonehaven and Inverbervy and Newton Hill and Muckles and amongst Shell and BP and Petrofact or wherever you work? There's something in this. Discipline here creates effectivity over here. Like we said earlier on, but we need also then to fill our lives maybe with the right stuff. Um, I heard Usain Bolt, he was interviewed um, just after he broke the world record. And somebody cheekily said to him, so uh, Usain, what did you have to eat before the race? And do you know what he said? He said, I had chicken McNuggets. <laughs> he did. But the reality is this. He did not have a diet of chicken McNuggets to break a world record, it was most definitely a one-off. He had a catalogue of, you know, sacrificial living. You know, he would have dieted on the right stuff, the right protein stuff, all of that stuff. He'd have, you know, his coach would have been brutal with him about what was being inputted, what was coming into his life. Because the input does then affect our output. And anybody who's played sport would know that. And Paul's just saying, guys, what we put in, let's put the right stuff in. 
And so for some of us today, this whole thing about discipline is, actually, I do quiet times. I do pray. I do invest. You know, some of us are morning people, and we get up at quarter past six, and we're like, yes, there's a new day. And we open our Bibles, and we're like, yeah, I'm loving this. So at quarter past six, we'd be like, you know, forget it. I'm not a morning person. You know, I need four cups of coffee before I, you know, get, you know, get, do anything. And some of us are late people, aren't we? And so actually, we do quiet times better at night before we go to bed. And we just maybe steal off for 15, 20 minutes and go, Oh, Lord, thank you for today. And it's been great. Or it's been a tough day, Lord, but I'm going to lift my eyes to you. And I'm going to read scripture now, Lord. And we thank you. that you, and, and some of us are doing that stuff. And that's great. But for some of us, maybe we just need to tweak our diet. A little bit. Because maybe we're bringing stuff into our lives that is actually unhelpful and is counterproductive to the discipline stuff that we're trying to do. And in my experience of sports or training and all the rest of it is, if you just tweak your diet a little bit, suddenly your training improves and triples in effectivity. And so I want to ask a question today for us. What are we putting in? What is our diet? You know, what, we, what do we watch? What do we listen to? What are we reading? What do we dwell on? Is there a pang of guilt off the back of that stuff? Um, just a sense of heaviness around it or whatever? Then I would suggest that that might not be the best protein shake, if you like. And, and, and all of us in this room know our hearts and our consciences in all of this stuff. So I just want to ask, Holy Spirit, would you, even right now as we sit here, I know there's things at times that I let in that are just counterproductive. And so Lord, would you, would you help us shave off, cut off that spiritual fat and help us come to your word and allow it to grow in us? A little bit more. We ask this in hope, in the Holy Spirit's name. And then I just want to finish with this, guys. A disciplined athlete is a ready athlete. A disciplined disciple is in the blocks and ready to be used. Um, this is what it says. We're going to land on this. In 2 Timothy 2.20, it says this. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are made for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. And here it is. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. I think there's two things going on here. A a disciplined life makes us ready and available for the master to come along and go, this one's ready, I want to use him today. I don't know about you, but I want to be a a vessel that actually doesn't need a whole lot of work done to it. It's already been done and it's ready to go. You know, some of you are cooks, way better than me. Nothing worse than coming into the kitchen and going, Oh, man, I've got to do all the washing up before I can cook dinner. 
I think what Paul is saying to Timothy is, let's be utensils that have all been washed, ready, made available, hang in there. And when the master comes in and says, I want to make a great meal of the kingdom and give the world a taste of something extraordinary, I want to pluck out, oh, Thea is ready to be used of me. Stephen is ready. He's on the blocks and going, I'm here, Lord. Ready for the master to use. So I think spiritual produces a readiness and at the same time, it produces greater sensitivity to the things of God. You know, as we hone and train and pray and read, What's going on there is we're becoming more and more in sync with the Spirit of God. And as as we begin to hear Him here, guess what will happen is when you're at work, you'll begin to hear Him. And the things, you know, that, that you would have missed because you haven't done the hidden work here... You know, if we, we don't do the hidden work here, there'll be a whole raft of opportunities that we won't even see because we're not with the Holy Spirit. When we don't do the, this disciplined stuff here, then what happens is we become numb. We become numb to the Spirit and we become numb to other people. I don't know about you, but there's been a few times in my life I've gone to bed and uh, I've woken up with a dead arm. Anybody? I remember waking up one morning and thinking, something's not right. Not quite sure what it is yet, but it's definitely not right. And I rolled over towards Victoria and this thing kind (laughs) of happened. Yeah? And I thought, whoa, what's what's that? This meat, this like lump of meat. It's a dead arm. My arm had gone completely numb. It's worse when you get out of bed and it's your leg. You've done that. You're fast asleep, like, oh no, it's 5am and the bladder's got to work. So you roll out of bed, but you know, something's not quite right. And you put your foot down, it's like three of ridiculous walks to the loo. You know? That never happens to you guys, just me. And, and, and with, a, with a numb arm, you know, it's like, hello, it's weird, you know. But what happens is you've, you've got to start moving it, haven't you? You've got to start moving that thing. And then what starts to happen? The blood flows into it. And you get pins and needles. And it's kind of like nice, but weird at the same time. I think as a kid, I used to sit on my hand deliberately to numb it and then go... Hmm, pins and needles. It's kind of cool. Be like, oh, I can feel the life coming into my arm and into my hand. And you ever, you know, numb arm, try and, try and grab somebody. It's like, it's not happening. Because it's numb. And the blood flow has kind of stopped. But once you start to work it, the muscles start to respond. You start to exercise it you can suddenly grip things again. Listen, let's, becoming a dis- disciplined person reduces our numbness to the world and to God. The more disciplined we become, the more sensitive to God we become, and the more prepared we are 
when we step out into the world, God then can use us, pick us up, and go, I'm using David today. I don't know about you, but when Jesus gets up in the morning and he goes looking for a utensil or a vessel, I want him coming looking in my direction. I want him to come looking at City Church South and saying, there's a group of people that are disciplined and they're hearing my voice and now I'm sending them to make a difference. Paul calls us to run a race and run it well in a way that would get the prize. Let's live it then. Let's live a life, a disciplined life, so we're effective for him. Why don't we stand?